Shalom and welcome to the Jewish Disability Services Together We Make an Impact podcast. I'm Adam. And I'm Rose. In today's episode, we're going to be talking about emergency preparedness in the disability rights movement. Our guests are three wonderful advocates who I'm lucky to call friends. And one thing that's pretty interesting about today's episode is sometimes our guests have some difficulty producing their words as a result of their disability. And we wanted to make sure that we made space on our platform for voices of all different types so that everyone's efforts can be included especially because all of these advocates are so experienced and they have great knowledge to share. So we shouldn't let those barriers prevent us from getting their message to your ears. Thank you for listening and I hope you enjoy the conversation. Can we just take a moment and have each of you guys introduce yourselves? Um, How about we start with Millie, if you don't mind? Absolutely. Thanks so much, Rose. This is Millie Gonzalez. My pronouns are she, her, and Aya. Um, I am a disabled Hispanic plus-size female, uh, and I am excited to be on today's podcast. So thank you for having me. Um, I am board president for the Partnership for Inclusive Disaster Strategies. It is the only disability-led organization that's working to ensure the rights of people with disabilities are being um, taken into consideration before, during, and after emergencies and disasters. I'm also vice chair of a local center for independent living. I am board president of Spina Bifida Resource Network, an organization that works with people with spina bifida and other disabilities uh, to ensure that we're living our best lives and having community spaces to be in with one another. Um, And I am also the co-founder of the New Jersey Disability Collective and a member of the New Jersey Disability Action Committee. Um, Those are just some of the main things that I'm involved in, but certainly disability advocacy runs through a lot of the work that I do. I love it. I love it. Thank you for being here today. Um, Norm, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and some of what you do? Yeah. I'm Norm Smith. I am the co-founder of Partnership. Yeah. So, Norm, I'm just going to repeat that for some of our listeners who might have some audio processing challenges. Uh, Norm Smith is the co-founder of Project Freedom, which you all should look up. It's a wonderful inclusive living community. Um, And what else, Norm? And I am best chair of the statewide. Yes, and he's a past chair of the Statewide Independent Living Council. And I've been involved with emergency preparedness since 1999. And Norm has been involved in emergency preparedness since 1999. Long time ago. A long time ago, probably longer than several of our listeners have been alive. Uh, anything else, Norm, or you feel good with that? I'm okay. I'm okay. Yeah. All Thank right. You. Thank you. are welcome. Thanks for coming, Norm. Yeah. Norm is a superstar. I'm very grateful to work with him. I'm grateful for all of you. Uh, Colleen, could you introduce yourself to our listeners and tell them a little bit about what you do? Yeah, sure. Thanks, Rose. Good evening, everyone. I'm so happy to be on the podcast. I must admit, this is my first ever podcast. So if you will all bear with me, I'm really looking forward to it. My name is Colleen Roach. My pronouns are she, her. I'm a white power chair using a disabled female. I'm currently the board of 
board chair for a local center for independent living. I am a member of the New Jersey Statewide Independent Living Council. I'm currently um, a fellow um, for NJ Lend at the Bog Center, which is a developmental disability fellowship that runs annually. This is their seventh cohort, I believe, and we will um, be having a culminating project in May. So hopefully, I don't know, hopefully maybe some of your listeners will hear about some of the work that the Bog Center does for developmental disabilities in the future. Um, with regard um, to emergency preparedness in particular, um, I have spent not quite as long as Norm um, on this, but I have I've spent uh, quite a bit of time uh, creating and developing and delivering uh, emergency preparedness um, trainings for uh, folks with disabilities and their families and also allied health professionals. Um, I am also co-founder with Millie of the New Jersey Disability Collective and a member of New Jersey Disability Action Committee. So I really am happy to be here and I look forward to tonight's conversation. Thanks, Ruth. Yeah. Uh, thank you so much. Um, wonderful. So one thing that we want to touch base on is that for many of our listeners, when they think of emergency preparedness, they might not think of it as a disability rights issue and vice versa. When they think disability, they might not think of disaster preparedness. Um, could you guys shed some light as to why this is a major disability rights issue? We, because we got, we got first in any disaster. Mm-hmm. We got first to die. If we're not ready, we will die. That's a great and sobering point, Norm. And for those of you who didn't quite catch that, it's that, you know, Norm says that we die first and that if we're not prepared, uh, you know, they people with disabilities tend to be the first to go. And that's a really dark reality, but it's something that we need to discuss so that hopefully we can address it before devastation sets in. Um, Millie and Colleen, do you have anything to add? This is Millie. Um, Norm's right. I mean, disasters, public health emergencies, uh, extreme weather events, they just magnify existing inequities that people with disabilities are facing. Um, Disabled people, particularly those living in like disaster vulnerable areas, low income communities, we quite often almost always, if not always, endure disproportionate, uh, if not always, endure disproportionate harm um, in these kinds of situations. It's estimated that people with disabilities are actually two to four times more likely to die or be injured in a disaster than non-disabled people. So two to four times more likely. And that number is really likely to, to rise as extreme weather events are striking harder and with greater frequency than they have been in the past. Yeah, and Millie, if I can, and Norm, if I can, just to echo on what you've said, we're definitely those, those of us with disabilities and developmental disabilities in particular um, are often the most highly impacted by disasters. And we're talking about disasters today. I think it's really important to, to remind listeners to reframe what you think about as a disaster. The first things that come to mind for everybody are the hurricanes, the fires, the droughts, the blizzards. But for, for communities that, that are um, dealing with poverty and um, a variety of obstacles, things like power outages, things like um, 
transportation interruptions also can constitute emergencies for folks. So when we we say that uh, disasters are a disability issue, this is why, because some things that folks without disabilities would be able to navigate without challenge, we really struggle um, with any kind of mass event that changes the way in which we live our day-to-day lives. And it's also really important to remind folks that people with disabilities, we are one in four. So really any issue that you ever talk about around your dinner table or in the chat room during a podcast, whatever, all issues are disability issues because we represent 67 million people in this country. So, Rose, thank you for kind of expanding uh, this idea of how how things are interconnected to disability. I think this podcast will go a long way. I think you're just beginning, but I think you guys will go a long way into really weaving that thread of, of how disability um, penetrate every level of society. And we can have really candid discussions about why that is and why we need everybody's support to make sure there's equity throughout. Amen. Thank you, Colleen. And I'm really grateful to have such wonderful partners such as you guys to help really shed light onto these situations. Um, Just a quick sidebar before I pass it off to Adam for our next question is, I just want to, I was brought back to a conversation you and I had, Colleen, where it was just snowing a little bit outside. And I was like, oh, like it's going to stink driving to work tomorrow. I'm going to have to like wear my boots or whatnot. And you were like, yeah, I need to be prepared to not leave my house for three days. And I think it's those sobering realities that are like, yeah, like we are not all the same when it comes to how a little bit of snow treats us. And, you know, increasing awareness on that is the only way that we can uh, help each other get through what comes our way. Right. And I mean, I think, Rose, you're, you're so right. You're thinking about the boots in the car. And, you know, I'm somebody with a developmental disability that relies on a bunch of people to help me do my basic activities of daily life. So coordinating that on a good day is challenging. <laughs> but when snow, right, Norm? Yeah. They may or may not show up. Who knows? But when the snow comes, you know, two inches and I, I'm really in my house. So if you're thinking about snow, which typically doesn't constitute a disaster even for us, that has major impact on how we live as folks with developmental disabilities. When you bring in something like a disaster that that impacts communities for weeks in major ways, we are so much more highly impacted than our non-disabled peers. And I really also want to point out that we often we're, we're living in congregate settings, places where there are a lot of people, and disasters in those settings are much more, um, they're, they're felt at a higher proportion and, and really all, as Millie had mentioned earlier, all of the, the impact of disaster that you hear about in the news is, is amplified by a factor of four. You know, during COVID, where were most of the deaths? During Sandy, during Katrina, where did you see most of the a significant impact. It was among people that are disabled. And I think we, we need to keep that in the back of our minds, you know? Absolutely. Thank you, Colleen. Yeah, I must say that you each shared such amazing uh, viewpoints and I think really are allowing our listeners, whether they're disabled or not, to have a better understanding of what life is truly like for somebody um, when 
when disaster does strike. Um, as as you know, we men, many of our listeners are here in New Jersey, um, and there are some systems in place where people can go and what they can find out about information. Do you have any suggestions on other spaces where we can recommend for our listeners uh, to find out more information about emergency preparedness? This is Colleen. Um, I think I I would suggest everybody, regardless of what state you're in, but in, in New Jersey, going to uh, ready.gov. It really, I know this sounds like a very simple kind of formula for getting ready for a disaster, but everybody needs to make a plan. What What, what is your plan should a disaster happen? How are you going to deal with it? You need to build a kit for yourself and your family members and also your pets. You need to make sure you've got three days of all of the um, food, water, any of the medical supplies, um, pet food, anything like that. Build that kit and then practice your plan. And uh, ready.gov gives you a really easy step-by-step way to go about doing that. And I always, when I, when I'm talking to people and they're like, Oh yeah, I don't, you know, I haven't done this yet. And I don't have this making this plan when you're feeling great. And when everything's going well, is the time to do it. Yes. I don't know about you, but when, when something goes out of the ordinary, even if it's not catastrophic, I go <laughs> like, I lose my mind. So making sure that you have that plan in place, you know where your kit is, you know where your food and your water is, and making sure that you know who your support system is way before any kind of emergencies happen is so vitally important. We also in the state of New Jersey have um, Register Ready. It's a way in which um, people with any kind of access and functional needs, and we'll talk about that, basically anybody who needs any kind of help and support from other people Um, can register so that your local municipality will be aware that you have a need and that you require assistance during a disaster. I share this information and it'll be shared in the podcast notes, I think, with an asterisk, right, that says, you know, just because you register for Register Ready, none of us can expect that there's going to be a a knight in fighting armor coming to help us the minute (laughs) disaster ensues. Exactly. It's not. It's, it's just not guaranteed. I'm going to come with you. It's up to the individual to be ready for anything. And so, Norm said it's, it's up to the individual to be ready for anything, and it's not a guarantee. None of these systems are a guarantee that um, folks will immediately come to, to the rescue. Primarily because, think about it, we live in a state with, what is it, Rose, 9 million people? Oh, gosh, yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll fact check that. I think it's 9 million. Um, and I think, you know, even taking disability out of the equation, there's only so many responders. So none of us as New Jerseyans can really expect that somebody's going to be there. So it's, it's super important that, that we're preparing ahead of time. And I go really old school. Um, I... I I'm somebody that lives in a suburban urban place. And one of the ways in which I've prepared myself is to get to know there's a firehouse down the, down the street, literally. <laughs> I know those people. I know their names. They know where I am. 
and they know some of what my needs are and to maintain those relationships even if it's just to be like hey how are you you know is so important and to become active in your community whether it's it's yourself as somebody with a disability or a family member of somebody with a disability making sure that you're growing community connections and natural supports of some type is probably my biggest piece of advice that I can give for people getting ready. We, we do have a variety of um, core advisory groups and coordinators throughout the state. But again, um, I think Millie might be able to speak to this or norm. You know, their, their capacity to help each of us individually you know, is strained. And I think we'll talk about that a little bit later about some things that might we might be able to do to rectify the strain on the system. Colleen, I have to say, you crushed that answer. <laughs> Millie, do you have anything to add to that? Thank you, Rose. Thanks, Colleen and Norm. They both kind of crushed this. I'm just going to reiterate one thing and 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 uh, make a plug for something else. So certainly our Centers for Independent Living, our, the New Jersey Office of Emergency Management, um, as Colleen said, local emergency personnel is so important. Um, I am somebody who lost my home in, in Hurricane Sandy, and now my house is elevated eight feet off the ground. Uh, so I have a residential lift to get into my house. And without local emergency personnel, knowing how to get me in and out of that, I would literally be stuck in or out of my home, depending on the situation. So I think that's a, a really critical piece right there. Um, and then I would add one more thing. Um, there's one place that disabled folks in New Jersey and across the country can go for help. And I know this because it's one of the organizations that I am uh, serving on the board for. Uh, again, the Partnership for Inclusive Disaster Strategies. Um, they have a di uh, disability and disaster hotline um, that essentially works to connect disabled disaster survivors and uh, like their family, their loved ones with um, different types of information, resources, uh, assistance throughout the kind of, uh, again, that before, during, and after disasters. Um, so again, we'll provide that information in uh, the podcast notes, but, um, you know, just 1-800-626-4959 uh, and hotline at disasterstrategies.org. So, you know, there's there's just uh, other opportunities with the partnership for um, inclusive disaster strategies for like community engagement and community building community resilience, support, etc. Um, so just one resources that here people here and outside of here can reach out to as well. Our listeners are so lucky to have you. So thank you so much. So we just talked about like all of these resources. Um, I'm hoping that you guys can shed some light um, in two different directions. One, shining some light on what these systems do well. And then, and perhaps more importantly, where do these systems fall short? Like what are the limitations? Does anyone want to take the lead on that question? I, I, I think, well, I come from 1999. Mm -hmm. They didn't, they didn't know we were out there. Mm -hmm. Norm, so Norm said, do you mind if I uh, speak for you a little bit, Norm? Go ahead, please, please do. Cool, thank you. Um, Norm said he comes from 1999 when they didn't even know that people with disabilities were out there. Well, today they know, they know over there. And I think they try to plan what it's not in depth. It's not in depth. It's not in some, uh, college. So, 
Norm was mentioning that, you know, people now know and OEM now knows that we exist. And in 99, when we were playing for H1N1, they, they weren't even sure where to find us and how to help us. But uh, the way that uh, planning occurs, it's not in depth. And each county is doing a little a little bit different. Yeah. So I, I think just building on what Norm said, I think wh- one of the things that New Jersey is doing really well is identifying the fact that people with developmental disabilities and access to functional needs uh, are, are a population that, that requires um, much more visibility and, and planning for. I think for me, and again, I'm keeping this answer shorter than the last one. I apologize. Don't be sorry. Um, is that, you know, the, the state of New Jersey and disability, the state of disability in New Jersey is, in my experience anyway, so much focused on the planning and identification of disability and uh, our needs and our support needs. The impl- implementation, and here's a public health disaster word, and operationalization of that knowledge is kind of where we fall short. I, th- yep. I think we've done a really great job as a state to identify um, the, the the barriers to um, accessing life-saving support during a disaster, you know, how, how do we access those shelters? How do we actively communicate with everybody, including those with developmental disabilities and other disabilities? Are we are we communicating in plain language? Are, is our, our materials understandable? Can people get to the, the shelters and the various services that, that are needed before, during, and after a disaster. And I think, um, not to rock the boat too much, but I think it's really important for people with uh, developmental disabilities and their families to be included um, on a more widespread basis in the, the planning of, of supports and services as we look forward to the next disaster, yeah. as we talk about tabletop exercises. Who are you including in your, in your training who are you including in those conversations about how you're going to manage that next that next media blitz that you're doing to make sure that people in your municipality are safe? If the voices of disabled folks are not present at that table, the, the result will be that they will have a much more difficult time uh, surviving disasters. Even, even, even participate in yeah. Say it one more time. Participate in the exercise. Yeah, even in the exercises. I was involved in exercise and did not, did not feel, did not feel. So Norm has been involved in many exercises for, for disaster preparedness, which are not real. And they, they need real people. To be there to have real issues. I appreciate that because I think something that we hear a lot, especially in like diversity, equity, and inclusion spaces, is like the notion of a seat at the table. But I think a lot of our community members don't know that this is a table that they need a seat at. 
So I hope, you know, one thing from this podcast is that more people are aware that these exercises and these planning committees exist and that they can ask to be a part of it. And hopefully we'll get, you know, this content in front of some people who organize those tables so that they can seek out additional participants so that, you know, those efforts are much more effective. I, I was asked to be an exercise. I got to exercise because I get in the building. <laughs> yeah, so. I, I was Norm said I was asked to be part of an exercise. I got to the to the exercise location and I couldn't get into the building. Yeah, <laughs> but you know we laugh and it is funny. <laughs> but I echo the same thing. I before just before the pandemic, I was invited to be part of an exercise that happened on the train where there would be a faux derailment, and you know. The, the response of, of the folks that are actively involved in the drill, it, it's alarming because even in the drill situation where the stakes are much lower than if it was an actual emergency, there's still a lot of struggle that goes on. And I think it's really important, like when you're doing those post deep, you know, post activity debriefs to not let those valuable insights go. Because the reality is nobody's going to be perfect, and I don't think we as a developmentally disabled community expect perfection. But if if you're you if systems are constantly experiencing barriers, okay, let's note that, and how do we move on from that? How do we make incremental improvements? And I think so. Back to your question, like I just think that we're really good at identifying the problems, and I think one of the places where we're, we're still struggling as a state is how how to then move forward in in ways that make sense and really keep our community um, alive. Thank you, thank you, Colleen. Um, I really really value your perspective. Um, Millie, is there anything that you want to add to this topic? Yes, thank you. This is Millie. Just briefly, I mean, um, I, I certainly agree with both Norm and Colleen and have had similar experiences to them in terms of emergency you know, management or emergency um, preparedness sort of activities. And I, I think the point here that I want to make is that like we as a disabled community are like needlessly put in harm's way because of lack of proper planning, um, lack of qualified personnel on the ground that are really um, equipped and uh, skilled at knowing how to help individuals with disabilities, uh, you know, access necessary services and supports. And the bottom line is that what results are violations of our civil rights by federal, state, and local agencies that are obligated to protect our rights and ensure that we do have the equal access to assistance you know, at, at all stages of a disaster. It is literally a violation of our civil and human rights. And that is something that we're not talking about enough. The fact that it is, it is legal, literally illegal for us to be forgotten. Um, and, you know, and, and the other thing I want to mention is that, you know, we, we talk a lot about or, or we are considered a vulnerable population. People with dis disabilities are considered a, a vulnerable population. And the truth is we are not inherently vulnerable. We're assets to emergency management. We are often responders. Um, we should be included as contributors to this emergency management, you know, process. Um, what's making us vulnerable and what makes us vulnerable is that we're being forgotten at every stage of this process, um, from the planning to the policies, to the evacuation protocols, to response efforts. Um, 
and certainly if we survive at all in the recovery process. Um, and you know what, I'm going to just quote, you know, the, the, the mantra of the disability rights movement, you know, nothing about us without us. It, it just means to include us. And that is everybody's responsibility to include us. That was beautifully said. Millie, you just bring up to me uh, so strikingly too, and, and like uh, on the positive spin of what you just said, like people with disabilities and their families are freaking MacGyvers on a daily basis. We are, yes. we are problem solving on a, sh- a shoestring budget. How do we make things accessible? How do we, how do we communicate clearly? How do we get our needs met? Like with bubble gum and like duct tape every single day. And I, I think throughout our community, that's what helps us be who we are. And I, I just want to encourage the listeners, think about if you, if you take the chance, the, the, the bold chance to include uh, folks with disabilities and their families, you know, in your efforts when you're, when you're doing this work or when you're thinking about this work, yes, we, we may bring perspectives that you've never heard or, or need to learn more about or, or go research, go Google uh, for your own. But you may also be really surprised at some of the out-of-the-box out of solutions and brilliance that our community can bring to these tables. And, and I think it's really valuable because, I mean, a lot of times it, it's not something that costs a lot of money. It's not something that requires a lot of, like, extra brain, <laughs> brain cells. You know, it's just, oh, wait, I never thought of that. And here's a really simple solution to make sure that, that Millie and Norm and Colleen can have access to, to clean drinking water next week. You know what I mean? I, I, I have to agree with Colleen. I have backup plans for backup plans for backup plans. Yeah, just in case. Everyday, everyday, everyday life. I need to I need to have Back up for everything I do. We're natural preparedness experts, whether we want to be or not. If you've got a backup plan for the backup plan for the backup plan. Yeah. You know, and I think a lot of people go through life. We live in New Jersey where life is really fast-paced, and I I don't think lots of people have redundancies there. I don't – it hasn't been my experience that a lot of people have – so many backup plans to make sure that they and their loved ones are, are, you know, as safe as possible. But I think in in our disability community, I see it all the time. And like, we learn from each other. Like I hear from, I hear from Norma Millie, like, oh, I got this thing. It's working really great. It's a grabber. It's a reacher. I can use it for this, that, or the other thing. Or I saw this in the store and it'd be really great you know, to open the cans when, when I don't have access to electricity or something, you know, as simple as those things. Like, how are you going to feed yourself? Yeah. And I, I think that it's important for our voices to be heard. And I think it's also important for us not only to be heard, but to be viewed and compensated as experts when we're doing the work. Because because there, there's, par- there's parity experience between us and any planner because we have the lived experience and we can tell you what works and what doesn't. Thank you, Colleen. I'm very grateful. And I I think our listenership is really going to benefit from that understanding that being vulnerable doesn't mean 
that people are completely dependent or incompetent. It just means that there's extra help that's needed. You guys did a really wonderful job of laying out, you know, all of these shortcomings in these systems. Is there anything going on locally in New Jersey that you're aware of that might work to address these these gaps? There, there is legislation. Yeah, the, the, there's legislation. I do have those numbers. Do you want me to read it out loud or Millie or Colleen, do you want to step in for this? Sure. This is Millie. I can step in. Thank you. Um, uh, There's legislation that establishes a permanent unit in the Office of Emergency Management to address access and functional needs of residents related to disasters and emergencies. Um, Those mm, legislation numbers are A1701 and S285. And again, those will be uh, included in the notes for today's podcast. Um, Essentially, this uh, legislation is designed to strengthen um, and and increase funding for access and functional needs coordinators and adds structural support by adding full-time personnel who are dedicated to you know, supporting people with disabilities and access and functional needs at the state level, Um, as opposed to what we have right now, which is one part-time person who is uh, needing to be, whose contract needs to be resumed annually. Wait, Millie, I got to repeat it for the people in the back. You just said one person? (laughs) Yes, one person to deal with. How many, Colleen, did you say that we had in the state? folks with disabilities? Well, we're more than four, but remember access and functional needs also includes elderly and people who may not speak English as their first language. So as far as access and functional needs, that number increases from 25% to about 50% norm-ish of us. Can I add any disaster people who can function every day become they gain access so Norm said during a disaster, people who before a disaster, people who function, quote unquote, well, during a disaster, they gain those access and functional needs. They are they need those supports. So not only are we dealing with that one in four. And again, I'm sorry to Millie to interject, but it's just it's mind blowing to me that we have one individual in the entire state that that is dedicated to serving such a huge number of people. One, one part-time person. No, absolutely. This is Millie. Don't be uh, worried about interrupting. I mean, I think that's a really good point. I, I think it's a, a a statement that I make so often that I forget to emphasize like how absurd that reality is for those of us who are trying to survive all the things that happen in New Jersey. <laughs> it's one part-time Yeah, so I'm just going to say that again. That's one part-time person for over 25% of the 9.2 million people living in New Jersey. Um, To say that's grossly inadequate is an understatement. It is obscene. All right, Millie, do you have more that you want to add or do you feel like that, uh, that's been hit on appropriately? Uh, this is Millie. I mean, I think it's been hit on appropriately, but, um, you know, I think something that Colleen alluded to before is really important um, to, to kind of re-mention. And that's it, that, uh, you know, we need people that aren't necessarily directly related to or affected by disability at the moment um, to 
also be part of trying to amplify these pieces of legislation and get them passed because our voices aren't enough and our advocacy isn't enough. And so we need people to really support us in these efforts. And we need, you know, allies to kind of be involved in these, um, in these efforts because without them, like we're not, you know, we're going to continue to die and be harmed in ways that could be avoidable. Um, if we don't have other voices also speaking up for us. I appreciate that. And, um, in our show notes, we're going to include where on the NJ ledge website, people can find their representative. And from there, you'll be able to contact your representative and let them know that these bills are something that you're interested in seeing move forward. And Rose, I just want to encourage, encourage listeners who may not have contacted their legislators before or participated in quote unquote advocacy. We're not, we don't need perfection here at all. You know, just picking up the phone or, or opening that email and, and, letting folks know, hey, this is really important to me, here's why, uh, it, it goes so far. And these bill, these bills are in committees, but they our, our elected officials don't know what's important to us in mass unless we tell them. And I think that, um, again, you, you don't need to be an eloquent, I'm not eloquent, you can hear me babbling here all the time, but you don't need to be eloquent. You just pick up the phone, uh, shoot off an email, and that goes a long, long way to, to, to assist us to make sure that the entirety of New Jersey is safe. Because if, we, if we're making disaster response accessible to, to people with disabilities, we're increasing access to services to everybody. When you increase accessibility for us, you're increasing accessibility and ease of of everything for everybody. Even if you, you don't identify or you don't experience disability, when things are more accessible for us, it becomes easier for you too. Just as an example, just to help some of our listeners visualize this, you know, curb cuts are put in place for people with wheelchairs, but I think every single person has benefited from a curb cut, be it for a stroller or a piece of luggage or a cart that they're pulling. And I think what you're saying is that very, that same principle very much applies to disaster preparedness. I think I want to move this conversation forward a little bit because I know that there are some federal efforts taking place that you guys are involved in. And I want to make sure that we leave some space for that conversation. Uh, does anyone want to take the lead on that? This is Millie. I can. So, I, you know, thank you for that question, Rose, because I really think that, you know, in order to kind of restore and improve, like, the federal emergency infrastructure, it, uh, you know, for inclusive disaster preparedness, response, it's really a critical part of affecting change at the local level as well. Like, it's it really does need to start from the top um, in, in some ways to be really effective. So there are two pieces of federal legislation that would make a tremendous impact um, in improving kind of the outcomes that we are having in the disability community. Uh, they are called READY and DARMA. Um, and the Real Emergency Access for Aging and Disability Inclusion for Disasters Act. And that's R-E-A-A-D-I. Um, again, this information will be in the notes. Um, essentially, READY would begin to address like the gaps that we're continuing to see in the disasters that we've been talking about tonight. It would ensure that people with disabilities are included um, and would recreate training and technical assistance centers that would really be able to support organizations who are responding 
two disasters. Um, that includes SILs, but that includes uh, other existing emergency response personnel as well. Um, and it would also create research centers so that we have more data and understanding of the inequities and disasters and emergencies that, again, most of us are um, very well aware of. And, um, and yet, you know, we understand that we do need the data and the understanding for other people to do something about it. Um, and then lastly, it would focus on monitoring and enforcement of our civil rights obligations through um, to two offices, and that's the U.S. Government Accountability Office and the Department of Justice. Um, so that's really uh, kind of the, the catch-all that READY does. And then the other piece of the uh, legislation is DARMA, the Disaster Relief Medicaid Act, essentially for um, allowing Medicaid to follow a person in the event of a federal, a federally declared disaster. Um, across state lines. So if something happens in New Jersey and I am a Medicaid recipient and I need to, you know, go to Pennsylvania or I need to go to Florida, well, then my Medicaid is going to follow me. Uh, there would be a full 100% federal match for the hosting state so that the financed piece is not, you know, not the, not the thing that prevents it from happening. It also provides like uninterrupted access to Medicaid services uh, when the recipients must, um, you know, at, uh, evacuate across state lines, increases health maintenance, community living, um, and possibly most importantly, it prevents unnecessarily inst unnecessary institutionalization um, during disasters because we see a lot of that uh, when folks with disabilities need to evacuate. They're being put in hospitals or being put in congregate care facilities where they don't need to be. Um, and then lastly, DARMA would also create um, a pilot program to help states to develop an emergency response core to provide home and community-based services in disasters. Um, again, to just really be prepared for instances like this um, so that we don't have to, uh, you know, years from now need need these kinds of programs because they'll already be in place. I so appreciate that. And I do want to uh, just clarify for our listeners is that you're going to be reaching out to a different representative. You're going to be reaching out to your federal representative on these bills if that's something that you um, want to do. And in our show notes, we are including how you can find both your local New Jersey legislator and your federal legislator so that we can help make that process as easy as possible for you. We would saying you want to get every congressman on this bill. Is Was I right, Colleen? Yeah. So, the, these two, Pete, and really thank you for, for the summary of both of those uh, very important pieces of legislation. They have been being kicked around. They are bipartisan, um, nonpartisan, really, pieces of legislation that have been being um, kicked around for quite some time. Uh, they, they both have some support um, in, in both houses. Um, but not enough to get to get them passed into law, and I think again, this this these two bills definitely um, go beyond and past any kind of political preferences and persuasions anybody has. Again, I'm just bringing it back to my to my own doorstep as somebody with a developmental disability. This is these two bills for all people with disabilities are really the things at a federal level, which will allow the state of New Jersey 
to, to get the adequate support funding and structures to be able to to make sure that we are we're surviving ever increasing ever increasingly frequent disasters and i think um Again, I again I apologize for keep bringing it back to DD, but if we're talking about DD, everybody everybody probably listening to this podcast knows about the importance of Medicaid and how this is how we access those budgets that so many people rely on to stay independent. And you know, postmortems for Katrina and Sandy indicate that two of the reasons of many, but two of the re- reasons why, um, actually one of the main reasons why people fail to evacuate um, during, actually fail to evacuate before a disaster when when the warning is there during a disaster and even after is because that that Medicaid and the services that are attached to it and the life-saving supports that are attached to it, people know that if they leave state lines, they're not going to get it, so they stay. So, you know, we have in current meteorological norm, I think you send every other, anytime that something falls from the sky, you send a warning about it. We have the technology out there to, to be able to send out effective warnings um, for uh, many disasters, not all, but many, and people just don't... Um, evacuate because they know that if they have to leave the state, they, they will be unable to survive. So thinking about how important these two bills are on a federal level for particularly people with developmental disabilities, most of whom are Medicaid recipients, I'm speaking specifically on Dharma right now, I, I can't think of a reason not to support a bill like that because it will really allow us, if we need to leave the state for any reason during a disaster, to be able to do so and not be threatened um, with, with you know, poorer conditions than we are leaving. So we would really encourage all of you to check out those notes um, and, and again, shoot off that email. I know it, people, people think, oh, it's just an email. What, what is that gonna matter? But our elected officials count the number of responses they have in favor and uh, um, opposed to certain bills. And if those numbers become increase and increase and increase, it's going to get on their radar. And we're going to achieve, I believe, and I really have hope that, as Norm said, that we will get the support of the vast majority of our folks in Congress, because this isn't a partisan bill whatsoever. It's about allowing us to to have the best outcomes before, during, and after disasters. I love it. And I think that point of like, you know, the numbers matter that even if it's not the most beautifully written email or the most eloquent phone call, it's recorded and it counts. I think before we wrap up, is there anything else that you guys have burning in your pockets that you want to let us know before we sign out? This is Millie. I just want to say one thing, and this is kind of how I end all sorts of conversations that I have around disability. So sorry for all those that have heard this before. Good. But <laughs> exactly as Colleen laughs at me, uh, the disability population is the only community with an open door policy. Amen. 
If you're lucky to live long enough, you're likely to join us. So you might as well start working on all of these things right now because they're going to benefit you eventually. What a queen, Millie. Ugh, what a great way to end it. Okay. Thank you guys so much for joining us. I really appreciate what you all have added to this conversation. And I really believe our communities are better for all the work that you do and the time you've given us tonight. We truly thank you all so much for your insight. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Amazing. Well, Rose and I thank everyone for listening to the Jewish Disability Services Together We Make an Impact podcast. We hope you'll continue to follow our conversations. And this episode of the JDS Together We Make an Impact podcast was made possible by our sponsor, the Jewish Community Foundation. We thank you for your commitment to making an impact in the disability community.